Our reading uh, today is from Revelation 7. So it's Revelation 7, uh, yeah, 7, starting at verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Good morning. It's good to be with you all again. Let us pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we come before you in uh, a time of worship and fellowship. We pray that once again, you'll prepare our hearts to hear your voice as your word is preached. We give you thanks for the privilege and promise of prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, our text uh, for the sermon this morning comes from Psalm 121. Psalm 121, as we continue uh, to consider the song of ascents. The Song of Ascents, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Here in Psalm 121, we see... Uh, a pilgrim uh, on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he is uh, looking to the hills. He has lifted up his eyes to the hills. And immediately he thought to himself, help. I need help with these hills. And so he declares that my help comes from the Lord. What could he mean by help? Perhaps he was thinking of the dangers of the wilderness and the challenges of a long and uphill journey. And so he looks to the hills and he's anxious and he's afraid and he's intimidated. And so he declares that it's okay, the Lord will help him 
overcome the hills. And this is the view of uh, many commentators uh, considering what the hills represent. But there are others also who believe that perhaps he wasn't looking to the hills with fearful and anxious eyes, but uh, instead with longing eyes. He's looking to the hills and he wants to reach the hills. He's thinking of the destination of his pilgrimage and he can't wait to get there. He can't wait to be at the temple with God's people, with, uh, with the fellowship of the worshippers. He can't wait to be in the presence of God. And so he declares that God is his help to take him to the hills, to make sure that he completes his pilgrimage and arrives at the temple safely. So on the one hand, he could see the hills as the obstacle of his hope, or perhaps he's thinking of the hills as the object of his hope. But both are true. The pilgrim needs help to overcome the hills. He also needs help to reach the hills. And in both he declares, which is the important point, that the Lord is his help. My take, my take is that the hills represent his longing for Jerusalem which is surrounded by the hills. Just as in another song of ascents, in a couple of psalms later, in one Psalm 125, the pilgrim says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, the word for mountains is the same for the word for hills in Hebrew. Just as the mountains or the hills surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround his people from this time forth and forevermore. But why does the pilgrim lift up his eyes to the hills, perhaps to look to Jerusalem? There are three reasons why I believe I think uh, the pilgrim is looking to the hills and why it's good for him. First of all, he's not looking up all the time as he's walking towards Jerusalem. You can't walk like that, looking up. Which means, I think, uh, it's, an intentional, it's an intentional move. The pilgrim is taking a moment to stop and lift up his eyes to the hills or to the mountains, and maybe, maybe he wants to see the mountains uh, that he recognizes, the Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, and maybe he wants to remember why he's on this, he is on this difficult pilgrimage. And maybe after he's lifted up his eyes to look at the hills and remember where he is going. And when he lowers his eyes to continue his journey, he then sees in his heart the holy city, the holy temple, and the holy gathering of God's people. And he, he then can look ahead and is able to continue the difficult pilgrimage. So in that case, uh, the pilgrim looks, looks up to remember who he is as a pilgrim and why he's traveling and where he is going and to remember also that God is with him on this journey and God promises to help him to complete his journey. And here's a reflection for all of us as well, believers on our pilgrimage. Do we stop and take time to not just rest, but lift up our eyes 
and to see the temple of God, to see where we're headed, especially perhaps when we grow weary and impatient of our pilgrimage and we are busy and we're tired. Do we take a moment to pause, to stop walking and running perhaps, but like the pilgrim in Psalm 121, just look to the new Jerusalem and to remember who we are as pilgrims on our way home, on our way to the temple. And more importantly, to remember that our help comes from the Lord, who promises to complete our pilgrimage so we arrive at the temple safely. There's a second reason, I think, it's helpful to lift up our eyes to, to look to the hills. We should stop and look just to make sure we're still on the right track. To check and see if our deepest desire, our longing, is still to reach the hills, to be with God's people, to worship God. Because it is possible uh, in the lives of this world, in the busyness among the distractions, it is possible to be tempted and to be climbing up the wrong hills, perhaps. Whatever stage of life you're in, perhaps you have a job, perhaps you're a student still, I think it'd be helpful, it'd be good for us to take moments from time to time to look up and to check and see what our deepest longings are, what our deepest desire is. Is it, as a pilgrim is, to be with God, to reach the hills, to reach the temple? Is that still our motivation behind all the tasks? Is that still what uh, gets us up in the morning and keep us going. When we look up, when we take time to lift our eyes, do, do we see that we are moving closer and closer to the temple, or have we been led astray? Have we been chasing after fantasies and, and, and dreams and false promises of this world so that when we look up, we're not quite sure where we are or where we're going? There's a third reason I think it's helpful to lift up your eyes and to look at the hills. Because it puts the dangers and obstacles along the way of the pilgrimage for the pilgrim in the right context. The dangers for the pilgrim uh, on his way to Jerusalem are not just dangerous because they threaten the body of the pilgrim, but they are dangerous and they are significant because they threaten his pilgrimage. They are harmful and they are wicked, ultimately, because they get in the way of his desire to worship God. That's the most severe consequence of the obstacles along the way. And I think that is a good way to see the wickedness of sin and evil in our lives as well. Sin is wicked, not just because they hurt, they hurt us and others, but ultimately sin is wicked because they get in the way of our worship of God. They get in the way of our love and desire for God. They distract us with sinful desires and false promises. And once we are distracted, we can no longer look up and see God or see the hills of God to, to desire, to long to be with God. All kinds of evil, all kinds of hurt and harm become possible. But thankfully, 
The psalmist tells us, the pilgrim tells us, that God, who is his destination, is also with him on the journey to help him to complete his journey. The God whom he longs for, seemingly at a distance, does not just sit back at the hills to wait and receive the, the offerings of the pilgrim, but he is walking alongside the pilgrim to make sure that he gets to the destination safely. How does the pilgrim know that God is able to save him? Now he declares uh, the power of God. The psalmist says, the Lord is his help and the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. The pilgrim appeals to God and specifically uh, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And he declares that God or Yahweh is different from all other gods, from all other gods popular and perhaps commonly believed in the ancient Near East. Most of the nations and tribes and people, peoples in general, have some ideas about God or gods or the spiritual world. But one of the unique claims of Yahweh, God of the Bible, is that he is the creator. He is the creator of all things. The psalmist uses the phrase, he's the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's not just to say that he made two things, heaven and earth. But that is to include everything within heaven and earth. He is the creator of everything. Heaven, the invisible worlds, or earth, the visible one. God is the creator of everything in the invisible world as well as the visible world. He alone has always existed eternally because he created time and space. He is the unique being who is unlike any created being. Christians sometimes, I speak for myself, take this title, this description of God for granted because we hear it so often. In Reformed churches, you hear it at least twice on Sunday. We declare that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But this is a unique claim among claims of religions and gods. That God and God alone is the creator, the maker of the entire creation, but also the creatures within them. He is our maker. There are many gods of different religions who claim to have powers, supernatural powers. And they have powers over territories, animals, creatures, things. And they offer to help their followers in exchange for their worship. But God of the Bible is the one who made everything, who created everything. And if that's true, then ignoring him or exchanging with him for some favor is not an option. Our lives are owed to him. We are living in his world, breathing in his air now, and eating his food, and there is nowhere we can run or hide or escape from him. He is our maker and our master, and he is holy and also good and deserve our worship. So worship is the only appropriate human response to God, and he is the only one worthy of our worship. 
Many false gods in the ancient Near East behave like humans with human desires and human kind of interactions with their followers as well. They eat and sleep and need human offerings. They need human worshippers to satisfy themselves. But God is not like that. The true God is not like that. He doesn't need anything from us. And pilgrims and worshippers have the confidence that God receives our worship because He loves us. It's not out of need that we that He receives our worship. Even our ability to worship Him, our efforts to worship Him, worship Him on our way uh, to complete our pilgrimage, it's because of His help that we can worship Him. And he's not just the creator, but he's also the sustainer. He provides and directs events and history, which means the dangers, the obstacles along the way of the pilgrim for his pilgrimage is still according to his plan and under his control. He knows what we can take. He knows our limitations and our weaknesses. And he knows what trials and temptations that he has allowed us to face. But our faith is tested, not just because perhaps sometimes we doubt God's powers, but quite often because we don't trust in his ways. We can believe that he has the power or has wisdom to deliver us and save us, but we're not quite happy with the way he's doing it. We want him to save us, not just save us, but save us the way we prefer The pilgrim, perhaps, would probably ask God to just fly him directly to the hills, if he could. We probably, if we have the choice, would prefer to ask ask God to spare us of the pilgrimage. Why are we still here? We are saved. Heaven is better. To be with Jesus is far better. But instead, the psalmist, the pilgrim, and God reminds us that His grace is sufficient, and he will protect us, and he knows what we are going through, and he has a plan for it. The dangers on the road are according to his plan, under his control, and he's watching over us in our journey. But if he does not take the journey away altogether, we must trust that this is the best way to reach him. We must trust him that if this is the way to worship him, then it's God's way, and if it's God's way, it is the best way. Might not be what we we would have planned and preferred, but it is according to his design. It is the best way we can perhaps imagine, it is the best way to worship God through a journey, through the pilgrimage that is filled with obstacles and dangers, because uh, when we reach the end of our destination, we will be able to look back and remember that he has walked with us and overcome these dangers with us. And in that way, Our worship does not uh, begin at the temple when we offer our sacrifices, but our worship begins with our pilgrimage. 
And we have begun to offer our trust and obedience to God, even on our way to reach God. We see in verse 3 and 4, the pilgrim says, God will not let your foot be moved because he will not slumber nor sleep. We've mentioned that the trials and temptations are uh, the dangers on our pilgrimage and they threaten the completion of the pilgrimage. They might trip us, trip us up, uh, slow us down and perhaps if possible lead us astray, astray altogether so we lose our way. That is what it feels like might happen. But it won't really happen because God is watching over us. God is watching over his people. The pilgrim explains a bit more about the way God watches over us. He is the kind of watchman that you want, who never sleeps. And once again, I think the pilgrim is highlighting the fact that God is not like us. God uh, is not like other gods. It's almost a uh, redundant way of describing how God does not sleep. He already said in verse 3 that God watches over us and he does not sleep. And verse 4, he repeats uh, the entire statement with an exclamation, Behold, look! God does not sleep nor slumber, means very much the same thing. I think what the pilgrim, what the psalmist is trying to highlight is, sleeping is not a thing for God. Staying awake is not hard. He doesn't fall asleep, he doesn't slumber nor sleep, he repeats again, the psalmist says, because it's not hard for him to stay awake. Sleeping is not a thing. He's not like us. He's not like other gods. God does not sleep or grow tired or get distracted. And it's not an effort for him. He's not trying to stay awake and watch over us. He's doing it. He's not looking at the clock around 4.30 in the afternoon or desperately waiting for the weekend or the semester break. The last day of the year is just the same for him as the first day. The first prayer that he has answered is the same as the 10 billions. It's not hard for him. He's not like us and he's not like other gods. He's not sweating over the troubles that we find troublesome. Perhaps when we get tired, we wonder if God needs some rest or some help in governing this world. Perhaps even uh, when we doubt our love for God, we wonder if God has doubts about his love for us. But again, thankfully, God is not like us. If he is determined to love his people, to watch over his people, it's done. He is watching over us in a way that only he can, without change, without distraction, without slumber nor sleep. There is no wavering in his love and his watching over us. But even if we know that God is capable as the creator who, who doesn't sleep nor slumber, what confidence do we have that he will protect us? Is it just simply because he's the creator, he has the, the duty and obligation to uh, preserve creation? No, the pilgrim provides the reason for his confidence that God will protect him is because God is... He who protects 
Israel. Another way to translate the phrase "He who protects Israel" is the guardian of Israel, which I prefer slightly because it sounds like a title of a superhero. He's the guardian of Israel, and this is how the New Jerusalem Bible and the New English Bible translated. And I think also the guardian of Israel,、uh, like the guardian of galaxy, focuses on a title, not just what. God promises to do, but who He is, He claims to be, or He accepts the title, the Guardian of Israel. And so the pilgrim feels feels assured of his protection, of his right to claim God's protection from the Guardian of Israel, because he's one of the Israelites. He has the confidence. In his right to appeal to God for his protection. Imagine the pilgrim facing the devil on the road on his pilgrimage, and the devil asks him, asks him, "Why should God save you? This is between me and you. Why should God save you from me?" The pilgrim can say with confidence, "Look at me." I am an Israelite. I am one of His. The Guardian of Israel will rescue me. It's in His name, and it's within my right to claim the protection from the Guardian of Israel. Can you pray with the same confidence? Can you have the same assurance that you can appeal to the Guardian of Israel for protection? What right do you have? What right do we have to appeal to the guardian of Israel? This is the Jesus promise from the Scripture, from Galatians three, twenty six. Twenty six to twenty nine. Jesus, or Paul says, with regards to Jesus, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And here's the promise regarding our、uh, status before the Guardian of Israel. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There is neither Jew nor Greek. No Aussies, no Kiwis, no Asians, or otherwise. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You have the right to appeal to the Guardian of Israel by grace through faith in Jesus. We are heirs of heirs according to promise, offspring of Abraham. So we have faith and we have assurance. Of the protection from the guardian of Israel, and He is ready and happy to help us to save us. Verse five and six describes more of the dangers.、And、the pilgrim says that God will be the shade over him to sh- shelter him from the harm coming from the sun and the moon, and he's again using the sun and the moon、uh, to describe. Two things, at least, not just about the sun and the moon. Firstly, just like the phrase. Heaven and earth, which includes everything within heaven and earth, the sun and the moon is used here by the pilgrim to indicate 
all the times that the pilgrim is in danger, that the pilgrim needs protection from God. And what are the times the pilgrim is in danger? It's when the sun is out or when the moon is out. It's just two times a day, during the daytime and the nighttime. It's all the time. He's in danger all the time. Uh, the pil- pilgrim uh, is in danger from uh, the sun and the moon as well. And this is the same for us in our pilgrimage. We are uh, in danger from temptation of sin all the time. But again, we are reminded that our guardian is watching over us in the daytime as well as nighttime. And again, using the sun and the moon in addition to indicate times, the pilgrim is comparing the power of God with the gods of the ancient Near East. It is common to see in the ancient Near East uh, the sun and the moon as gods, and the moon uh, is often seen as the god who causes fever and leprosy at night. So the pilgrim is again comparing uh, and contrasting the power of God with the false gods of the ancient Near East. But he's saying, even if the sun and the moon seeks to harm us, they will not be able to, regardless of whether we are awake or sleep or strong or weak. Our safety is assured because of the one who's watching over us. Our safety does not depend on us, ultimately. does not depend on our ability to find shelter or to stay awake. But it depends on our guardian, who is always strong and always awake, always diligent and always alert. We've come to the end of the psalm. Verses 7 and 8 concludes with the reality of the pilgrimage. And the psalmist tells us that we are indeed actually fighting against the devil, fighting against evil and not just the hills. And what is at stake is our very lives. There's a progression of intensity here. Verse 3, the psalmist says, God will protect us from the slips of the foot. And so we uh, might stumble or get lost. Verse 6 tells us that God will protect us from harm from the sun and the moon. (coughs) Excuse me. But verse 7 tells us that God will keep us, keep our very lives because the ultimate threat is not just coming from uh, the hills to harm us, but to separate us from God forever. And this is the consequence. This is the severity of the journey of uh, the journey of the pilgrim. For those who have lost sight of God and does not complete the pilgrimage, who finally finds him or herself not caring about worship, not desiring to be with God. The threat is eternal separation from the keeper of life. But for those of us who can, from time to time, lift our eyes to see God as our desire, our deepest longing, we can be assured that we are being watched over and our guardian will keep us from all evils and to give us eternal life. So, 
If you are just wandering in life and climbing up random hills and hoping for the best, then perhaps you're in a dangerous place and you are not under the protection of God. You will be disappointed on every hill that you reach where God is not there. But if we can take these moments to check our deepest longings and desires and we do see Jesus, we do see God, we do see worship as our ultimate motivation and desire, then we know we are on the right path. And that not because of our desire to worship only, but because God is watching over us. The guardian is watching over us. And this does not mean that we will not face dangers, but it does mean that we can be assured that our guardian will keep us safe to finally arrive at our destination. He will keep us from harm and lead us to himself. The psalmist concludes with a blessing. And just like using the sun and the moon and the heaven, uh, earth and heaven, he now uses going out and coming in to say whatever you do, wherever you go. And whatever you do and wherever you go, God will keep you from now and forevermore. So he now sees these annual trips that he has to make at least three times a year to Jerusalem. He now sees that trip, that pilgrimage, as essentially a picture of his entire life. And his ultimate pilgrimage is the journey of life which he hopes to arrive at the presence of God. The journey of life at the end which he uh, hopes to arrive at the new Jerusalem where God is where the blessing of God will be with him into eternity. And that is the hope that we share with the pilgrim, that even though we face dangers, obstacles, things that trip us uh, and slow us down, but we trust in God's protection along the way. When we have fi finally arrived at the new Jerusalem, we won't ever have to come down again like the pilgrims in the past. We can stay there and enjoy our rest and fellowship with God. We would have completed our pilgrimage once and for all. And this is because the promise and help that comes from God. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And he promises that, yes, we are on a journey because that is the best way according to his plan. But our journey will come to a fruitful and glorious end. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for these reminders to take moments to pause and not just keep trucking along, but to lift our eyes up to you and to make sure that we still see you. And so we pray that you'll strengthen us when we are weary, when we need uh, to rest, and you'll guide us and redirect us if we are uh, off the track a little bit. We give you thanks for these promises and reminders. In your name we pray. But now uh, receive God's parting blessing from uh, Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.